Word on Health, the report with its finger on the pulse of popular medicine with Paul Pennington. Word on Health, for your very best of health. With everything we've had to contend with over the last couple of years, it's little wonder that it's had a substantial impact on our mental, emotional well-being and ability to cope. As someone who's lived through difficulties, I know how hard it can be when times are tough or when things are overwhelming to be able to talk about it. One charitable organisation dedicated to providing a free, anonymous and non-judgmental listening ear are the Samaritans. Matt Williams has volunteered his time to the charity for over 10 years. Samaritans are about 22,000 ordinary people doing something extraordinary, providing a listening service to anybody who needs it, whatever they've done, whatever life's done to them. Primarily, we listen on the telephone. I've got a free-to-call number, which is 116123, and that's available 24-7, 365. We offer time and space non-judgmental. What you say on the phone to a Samaritan's volunteer stays between you and the volunteer, unless there's some sort of immediate danger or somebody's at risk of abuse. That confidentiality, I think, is really important. And it's something which we're very respectful and mindful of to allow that person to say what's on their mind. We have no agenda. We're not preaching. We're not telling people what to do. We're just allowing them to be themselves and being alongside that person. Matt, what training do Samaritans volunteers receive? In my 50 years, I've been on all sorts of training courses, and I would say Samaritans training has been amongst the best. It's suitably rigorous. It's quite intensive. People phone that number in all sorts of stress and states and all sorts of stories in their lives. So it lets you know how to speak with somebody who is deeply upset and giving you the confidence to do that and how we can provide the service that we do in a way that is safe but also meaningful for the caller. This and every month, the Samaritans are encouraging people to talk to us. What's the thinking behind this awareness push? Talk to us is a really powerful message. Whether you're young or old, male or female, gay or straight, black or white, it doesn't matter. Samaritans is there to provide a service for everyone. Whatever they're going through, if it's causing them problems, difficulties, then we will listen to them. Talk to us allows people license to call us. Talking is an amazing thing that we can do and listening to each other. And you don't have necessarily have to speak to Samaritans. You can speak to your friends. You can speak to people you trust. The sad reality is that a lot of people are carrying around with them an awful lot of sadness, of grief, of desperation. It might be about things that have happened in the past. It could be about mental health issues. It could be about schools. It could be about exams, joblessness, all of these things. And people are carrying it around with them. And it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And what we're saying is, talk to us. We're not going to wave a magic wand to make it better, but by talking, you can be heard and you can find your own way to the support of a listening volunteer. You mentioned talking to people in your own circle that you can trust. Hearing what someone says is one thing, but actively listening is something completely different. And I know the Samaritans are passing on pointers on how we can be better listeners, which you've encapsulated in the acronym SHUSH. Talk me through that. It starts off with show you care when you're talking to somebody is really important. If you're going to embark on a conversation, you've noticed somebody is not themselves, then it's important to show that you care. And that means that you've got 20 minutes, half an hour, however long it is available for that person. Your laptop goes down, your phone goes off and you look at them and you genuinely show you care. The H is having patience. Patience is really important. Patience isn't easy. Sometimes it's very difficult when someone's opening up for the first time. They're hesitant. They don't know what to say or how to say it. And they're finding the words. Actually, it can be a very stop-start process. So having patience and waiting for that person to open up. 
using open questions, not something where you're going to say yes or no to answer those questions. And the second S is say it back to that person. So you're trying to build rapport with that person. You're trying to be alongside them using the words, maybe the tone, the rhythm of their speech, and sometimes to check. So somebody says, I don't want to be here anymore. That can mean a huge number of things. It could be that they don't want to be in this conversation. They want to be abroad on holiday. Sometimes it means that they want to end their own lives or what have you. So actually by asking, when you say you don't want to be here anymore, I wonder what you mean by that. You actually find out what that person means and without assuming. And the final H is probably my favourite of the shush acronym, which is have courage. Courage to ask a difficult question, the courage to hear and acknowledge a difficult answer and the courage to then respond with kindness, without judgment, and to really be kind to that person. I think courage is hugely underrated because this isn't easy. Starting a conversation with someone you worry about is difficult. And shush, of course, is helpful in itself because the magic, the key item in the Samaritan's toolbox is silence allowing a comfortable silence between you and the person you're speaking with. Before I train to Samaritan, I want to fill the silence. If I keep talking, then maybe it won't be so bad. And now I'm very comfortable allowing that person time and space to find their own words. Word on health. Feel very best of health. Celiac disease is not a food allergy or an intolerance, but a lifelong autoimmune disease which affects at least one in a 100 people. Only 36% of people with the condition are currently clinically diagnosed, with the average length of time taken from the onset of symptoms to diagnosis taking a staggering 13 years. It's thought there are half a million of us who don't know we have celiac and may still be struggling with unexplained symptoms. TVGP Dr Chris Steele lives with the condition. The average age of diagnosis now is 44 years. Given that you're born with this condition, you've lived with it for a long, long time, you've got used to feeling tired. You know, and tiredness doesn't happen all of a sudden. It comes on very, very gradually. You may lose weight with it. You may have diarrhea, but you might just have the vague symptoms of tiredness, a bit of bloating, a bit of excess wind. And you don't have to have all those symptoms. You just have some of them. A lot of these patients have actually been wrongly diagnosed as having irritable bowel syndrome. But if you have any of those symptoms, you should really go to see a GP. There's a blood test we can do. And if that blood test indicates that you have this condition, you'd be referred to a specialist to confirm the diagnosis. If a first-degree family member, such as mother, father, sister or brother, has celiac disease, then the chances of having it increase to 1 in 10. We have a link through to a symptom checker, courtesy of the charity Celiac UK, on the Word on Health website. Chris, do we know what causes celiac disease? A protein called gluten that's in wheat, barley, rye and sometimes oats, found in bread, biscuits, pasta, pizza bases, anything really made from flour. Why is it important to get a diagnosis? You can get anemia, thinning of the bones, osteoporosis. It can cause infertility in women and even miscarriage in younger women. The frightening thing is you are at increased risk of bowel cancer. Is celiac disease curable? We can't cure the condition, but the treatment is you have to actually have a gluten-free diet. Now, 96% of patients, when they're changed to a gluten-free diet, the symptoms have gone. But they they have to stay on the diet for life. Keeping you in touch with the health and lifestyle issues that matter. This is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Sarcomas are a collection of rare cancers diagnosed in around 15 people every day. 
Research shows 75% of us don't have the first clue about sarcomas, which, during their annual awareness campaign, the charity Sarcoma UK is trying to address. Richard Davidson is the charity's CEO. Sarcoma is a type of cancer that affects the bone, the tissues, any kind of connective tissue, so the tendons, the muscles, and it makes up about 1.3% of all cancers. So it's relatively rare, but it still affects 5,300 people a year who are diagnosed in the UK. Because it can appear anywhere at any age, it means that it's quite hard to spot and diagnose. Public awareness is low. Professional awareness is low. So if you go to your GP, occasionally GPs miss sarcomas. To be fair to GPs, we have to say, given the rarity of sarcomas, your typical family doctor might only see one or maybe two cases in their entire career. How might a sarcoma manifest itself? Well, it can be a lump. Sometimes it's a swelling. It can be a pain. It really does depend whereabouts in the body it is. So if it's on a limb, it tends to be a lump, but it can happen internally and, and be out of sight for many years. Sometimes in younger people, especially, it's felt that it starts off and feels a little bit like growing pain. So often a GP will send you away saying, oh, it might just be growing pains. Come back if it gets worse. So if you do have a lump that doesn't go away, that's growing, do go to your GP and get checked out and seek a second opinion if you're worried about it at all. You know, it's much better to get diagnosed earlier. And I think that all healthcare professionals would rather see you to discount it rather than have you worry at home and not do anything about it. I understand that we don't know enough about sarcomas. We do know it's not something you can change your lifestyle to prevent. There are things that may raise the risk of developing a sarcoma. If you have a bone disorder called Paget's disease, if you've been exposed to radiation or certain chemicals, if you've had other people in your family who have had a sarcoma, or if you have a certain type of genetic disorder. And genetics are important in sarcoma. Genetics plays a big role and actually it's one of the cancers that you can have genetic testing to see if you can help with the exact diagnosis of the condition and the NHS is offering that. But not everyone who's got a genetic disposition will have a sarcoma and not everyone who has a sarcoma has the genetic. But sarcoma is one of the cancers that it is really important that you get a genetic test when you've been diagnosed with because that might lead to not only you being diagnosed with a specific type of sarcoma, but it will also help the future. We're doing a piece of work with Genomics England to encourage patients to be aware of the need for genomic testing and for sarcoma centres to make sure that they are aware when they do diagnose a sarcoma that they are encouraging their patients to have whole genome sequencing. Sarcoma has been termed the loneliest cancer. Why is that? And that is because there are these 5,300 people who are diagnosed with sarcoma every year, but there are over 100 different subtypes. So your type of sarcoma might only impact one or two people in the UK. Some of the rarer ones only impact one person in Europe. So meeting someone else with a similar type of sarcoma to you is quite rare and can be incredibly lonely. You can't talk to people who have been through the treatment. You can't talk to people who've come out the other side and survived. So it's a lonely cancer. And what about treatments and the future for sarcoma patients? There are some treatments on the horizon. Surgery is still the main thrust of treatments. So most patients with the sarcoma will undergo some sort of surgery, but there are chemotherapy and radiotherapy treatments for certain types of sarcoma. So there is some hope. I think what I would say is that it hasn't changed very much within the last 30 or 40 years. 
for some sarcomas, they're still treating it in the same way as they did 30, 40 years ago, which is really poor and something that we're trying to do something about. So it's changing and survival rates are slowly improving, but there hasn't been the breakthrough that there are in other cancers. And there are some hopes on the horizon genetics we've mentioned, but also some of these tailored, targeted treatments are showing promise for sarcoma. So we are researching and investing in research that looks into those. Word on Health. On air and online 52 weeks of the year with Paul Pennington. Word on Health. Your personal prescription for your very best of health.